Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we just celebrated uh, Israel's uh, 70th birthday, which is an amazing thing. And I was thinking, if I were to tell you, just this, this is actually not the case, but if I were to tell you that hundreds of years ago, there was this, this very little-known chapter of, of Jewish history where, where the Jews went back to Israel, and they became like this, this incredible, almost supernatural nation that was able to defeat huge armies from nations like that surrounded them that were like twice, three times, ten times the size of them. And not only while they were waging these wars, during that very process, they were radically innovating technology, medical cures, like all sorts of things that were changing the entire world all simultaneously. Like you would think, wow, what a, what a mythic, amazing chapter of our people. It sounds like legend, but I, I wish that were true. I wish I lived during those times. It is true and it's happening right now. This is the most amazing thing. This is exactly what's happening right now. It, and, and we're living during these times. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really amazing. And if you just take a few steps back, you realize that, that, that today's history, today's headlines, that you're basically reading what's written in Tanakh, what's written in the, in the Torah. And it's being lived out right in front of our eyes. Um, so that's interesting on so many different levels. One is that let's, you know, just to realize, be a part of it. You know, how can you be a part of it? How can you be a part of this unfolding miracle that's going on right now? Another interesting thing about it, it's a, it's a longer discussion, but, but just, just to touch on it, it's equally fascinating that it doesn't seem like a miracle. That's, that's at least as interesting as the fact that it's this giant miracle, is that it doesn't seem like one at all. You know, it says in the Talmud that when a miracle is being performed for someone, they're not aware that it's being performed for them. Oftentimes, like for instance, I'll give you an example of what they mean. Like let's say a person, um, like in the, in the Gemara, they, t- they tell a story about someone who's racing for a boat at, at, in those days, a boat was a, a plane, right? So that, that's how you made significant journeys. And um, someone had a someone had a, an important like business meeting, I think. You know, so it was you know very critical. And as they're you know traveling or running for the boat, he steps on this thorn and basically just can't move. And he's like, oh, you know, my, like my finances, everything's going to collapse, everything like this, because I'm not making the not making this appointment, and then he finds out later that the, the boat sank and his wow. life was saved. So, but, but what's, again, what's amazing about that was at the moment that his life was being saved, not only didn't he realize that his life was being saved and that a miracle was being performed for him, but he thought his whole life was falling apart because of this very thing that was saving his life. So, so... So again, we're living in this time of miracles, but we're not even aware of it. And, and again, that's in its own way equally fascinating. Um, and a lot of it, without again going too much into it, um, a lot of it has to do with just the nature of time. And, and that uh, time, so to speak, plays a big trick on us. Because it makes it seem like this is, whatever is unfolding is is sort of like very logical and, and, and natural. You know, like I, I always like to give the example, if you were to put a pencil down on your, on your pad and then walk to the kitchen and then come back and out of that pencil, there were large grapefruits 
like coming out of your pencil. <laughs> You'd go like, how did this happen? How did these juicy grapefruits come from this piece of wood? Right? But that's a tree. That's a tree. That's what happens with a tree. You know, it's like, but, but it happens so slowly. You know, you, you break the ground with a shovel and you're sweating in the hot sun and you watered and you nurtured and you, rain comes down and then just something pokes through the ground and, oh, this is a good sign. It's growing. And over a period of years, we, we had a, a housekeeper who, who, like something like 17 years ago, planted an avocado pit, like right out of an avocado in our backyard. The tree is now larger than the house. Wow. And after, this is even crazier, after something like 17 years, we finally have avocados growing on it. Yeah. So, so now what if you just planted a seed and then right in front of your eyes, a 10 foot tall tree shot up out of the ground with fruit on it? You would, like you wouldn't be able to stop blowing your mind. But that is what's happening. It's just there's this element of time. In other words, the miraculousness is concealed by time. And so it's creating this illusion that what's unfolding is very, is very logical, very normal. But there's nothing normal about it. There's nothing normal about an acorn, which you can fit, you know, many of in the size of your hand, becoming a hundred foot tall oak tree that if you try to hug it, you can't even get your arms around it. There's nothing logical about that. So, so, so back to Israel. Israel, it's like, you know, it's, it is, this movie, which is very big in the world today, Black Panther, like, I, I was sharing this up with someone, and they were like, Wakanda, you know, which is the, sort of this mythic territory in that movie, if you've seen that movie, but, but that's just it, no, no, yes, that was, that's a fantastic execution of this mythic province, except this is real. This is not that. This is not like this great, cool movie. This is going on right now. Um, you know, I remember there was a period of time where, like now, the Star Wars franchise is back, and, you know, it's sort of less of a national holiday when a new film comes out. But there was a period where people would literally, like in newspapers, there would be a countdown in the newspaper, like legitimate newspapers, like one day less, one day less, like, like this ticker. And, and I, I, I remember thinking, like, if you went up to, like, one of these guys, one of these, you know, just Star Wars fanatics, and said to them, what is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you? Well, probably that this film would be as good as one of the original ones. But even greater than that, greater than that, that I was a Jedi Knight, you know? Okay, but you know what? And that this battle were real. But actually, but that is what's going on right now. They're actually, you are a Jedi Knight, essentially. And, and there is this, like, this, this ongoing epic thing going on with the fixing of the world. And, and your actions, the, the mitzvot that you do, the love that you put into the world, actually is transforming the world. This, this, it's, 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 it's better than that, because it's real. So... So this is this is an exciting period in the um, in the year right now. Um, it's we 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 had Pesach just not so long ago, 
Um, and we're heading toward Shavuos, which is the holiday of the giving of the Torah. And the Ramban famously says that this is really one long holiday, and that all of these in-between days, these fear days that we're counting right now, is like Cholomoy. It's like one big Cholomoy, which are those in-between holidays when we have Pesach or Sukkot or whatever it is. The first and last days are holiday, and those in-between days are called Cholomoy. So this is like one long holiday. And, and just again, I always like to emphasize this point because you have to view these days as, as a single unit. Um, and to help you view them as a unit, there's this key, this key line in the Torah, which is that when Hashem appears to Moshe by the burning bush and tells him to take the Jews out of Egypt, that event, the burning bush, happened at Mount Sinai. That's very important. And God says to him, take the Jews out of Egypt and bring them back here. So in other words, the, instead of thinking that the whole um, story begins in Egypt and leaving Egypt and then eventually we get to Mount Sinai, which is just kind of something that happens along the way, very epic, but something that happened along the way, don't view it that way. Understand it that the intention of getting the Jews out of Egypt from the very outset was to bring them back to Mount Sinai. So when you see that sort of that, that, that package in mind, you understand that what the Ramban is saying on another level, which is that Pesach and Shavuos is one long holiday, right? Leaving Egypt and receiving the Torah is like one unit, and the days in between are all these rarefied days. And we're going to talk about the days in between in a, in a moment. Um, but just to give you one more sort of like a kind of visual on that, one of the sort of more... Um, mysterious things we have as part of this, this Seder is the egg. And we eat this egg. And uh, I heard from Rebbe Eli Chaim, uh, Shalom, that was Reb Shlomo's uh, twin brother. And I, was, I had a Seder with him one year. And, and he said over in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe an, an explanation of the egg. So he said in the name of the Ishbitzer that why do we have an egg on the, on the, on the Seder table on the Pesach night? Because an egg is only half the story. The other half of the story of the egg is the chicken. And so Pesach, it's a reminder at the Seder itself, the egg, that Pesach is just half the story. The other half of the story is Shavuos, receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. So, so again, these are all, we, we have to think of it as, as, as one unit. Now the Chedush Arim says something very beautiful which is that as we go through each sphere a day, that's each day that we count. And by the way, there's something called um, in halacha, a dever chashuv, which means a thing of importance. So there are all sorts of halachas that go um, according to it, that if something is, like for instance, when we make uh, blessings, brachas, if something is a significant thing, like for instance, if you're having, say, chicken soup, and there's a big hunk of carrot in it, right? So that might be considered a davar chashuv, depending on who you ask, and, and that might require a separate blessing in addition to the blessing on the soup, because it's its own entity. So, so a, a davar chashuv is something that's counted. So the Chedush Rim says that we count these days, meaning these days are counted because they're chashuv. Chashuv means important. These are important days. So spiritually speaking, this is sort of like a critical spiritual time. Um, Rabbi Freeman was saying in the name of the Ari that w- 
that we are, so to speak, conceived by Pesach as a nation, and then we're sort of born by Shavuos, with the accepting of the Torah. So in other words, it's, it's, we're very sort of spiritually vulnerable, because this is sort of like our initial stages of development. So that would be one idea in terms of our, uh, the importance of these days. But the Chidush Arim says something else, which is that don't, you have to, under, like, we're counting, we're counting up, right? We start with the first day of the Omer, and then we go to the second day of the Omer, and we build all the way up to, to 49. So understand that each day a new light is coming into the world, and these are sort of cumulative lights that are happening. In other words, as we're approaching Mount Sinai, it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. That's, that's, that's very interesting because you're not just kind of counting, okay, that's an, an, another day gone, another day gone, right? But rather this is like the, the, the lights are getting brighter and brighter as we approach Mount Sinai. Um, so so there's, there's all sorts that's going on. Now, the Chidush Arim, again, says something awesome, which is that, that Pesach really, you know, Pesach is the 15th day of Nisan. Now, 15th, the 15th is always the full moon in, in, a, in, a, in a Jewish month. And, and our, our understanding is, is that the full power of whatever the nature of that month is, because every single month has a different quality to it, different spiritual quality to it, the month of Nisan is the month of miracles, and Nisan has the word nes in it, which means a miracle. And so the 15th of Nisan, the full moon of Nisan, would be the sort of the apex, right? The culmination of the miraculousness of the month. So it's very, it's very understandable then, very nice, that the 15th of the month of miracles, which is like the capital of miracles, if you will, is the day we got out of Egypt. So it's, it's like this... This opening, Pesach, also means, like if you pronounce it with a Sephardi intonation, means an opening. A Pesach is an opening, right? So it's like a bit of a homonym. But it's this miraculous opening until, you know, into the Gulish Lema, into the redemption, right? So, so, so with that in mind... You go from the 15th day of Nisan, which is the capital of miracles, to the counting of the Omer the next day. All right, now what was the counting of the Omer? Basically, it was the day that the Jewish people, there there are a bunch of levels to this, but let's just start with a very simple visualization right now. The very next day, you're waiting, you've got a big crop, you've got the new harvest of wheat, which has been growing, wheat and barley and, you know, fruit for that matter, whatever it is, but let's, let's talk about the wheat and the barley especially. You've got a new crop that's, that's up, and you haven't cut it yet. You're waiting to cut it. You're waiting to harvest the new crop, because what you want to do is, before you can really harvest it, you have to bring a, a, uh, an omer, which is a measurement, an omer of barley, and, and that's, the, that's, that's the omer. That's when we were talking about the Omer. This is the Omer. It was only brought once. Like, I know we count 49 times, so a lot of people think, oh, during this period, every single day, there was like a separate Omer offering brought to the base of Migdash. It was only brought the first step, okay? And once that was brought, then 
you could now eat from the new crop. Now you could harvest the new crop. Okay? So now let's go back to let's go back a couple of steps. And you see a beautiful juxtaposition here, which is planting crops, growing crops, that's really like nature. Okay, that's the natural order. Harvesting it, right? That's the natural order. You work to do it, okay? Everything's from God, but you're really working to do it. And then here come the crops. Okay, very good. So now, now the 15th of Nisan, capital of miracles. The 16th of Nisan, the natural order. Because you're harvesting crops that you planted. Okay, so basically what you're doing is there's this joining together of the miraculous and the natural. The miraculous order and the natural order. And you're bringing the miraculous into the natural order. You're marrying them together. So I'll give you another example of this. Maybe even a bigger example of this. That's, that's, that's a very practical uh, visualization. But now, this may be a slightly more conceptual, but very, very compelling, I think. Which is that when in the Psalms, it talks about how God does things beyond count. God's wonders are uncountable. Aden Heker. You can't count them. Can't even put a number on them. There, there are too many of them. There are too many of them. You know, there's a, one of the, for me, most beautiful prayers in the whole Siddur, in the whole prayer book, is Nishmas um, Kolchai. Uh, we only say it once a week, Shabbos morning, and it's, it's, it's uh, so poetic. It's really it's awesome. And one of, the, one of the lines in it, I tried to actually come up with the actual number that was being described here, and my calculator and computer ran out of zeros no because less. I couldn't, I couldn't, it, it couldn't even, couldn't even show me how large a number this was. But here it is in English. It says, it says, um, where our mouth is full of the song is, uh, uh, where our mouth as full of song as the sea, and our tongue as full of joyous song as its multitude of waves, and our lips as full of praise as the breath of the heavens, and our eyes as brilliant as the sun and the moon, and our hands as outspread as eagles of the sky, and our feet as swift as hinds. And here's the number. We could still, in other words, if we were like, like the most expansive, amazing, unbelievable creatures, right? We could still not thank you sufficiently, Hashem our God and God of our fathers, and to bless your name for even one of the thousand, thousand, thousands of thousands and myriad, myriads of favors that you have performed for our ancestors and for us. Amen. It's it's wild. It's wild. The 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 amount of goodness and chesed and love that's coming down every single and just tying the world together. It's, okay. So so with that in mind, it's 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 uncountable. It's uncountable. And it didn't say we couldn't. If you if you just go back to the the, the sitter for a moment, it doesn't say we couldn't thank you for all the. It didn't say that. It said we couldn't thank you. For one of them. <laughs> you hear that? We couldn't even thank you for one of them. That's, that's really mind-blowing. So, so anyway, God's 
miracles and wonders and kindnesses are uncountable. And the, again, the capital of the miraculousness of God is the 15th of Nisan. Okay, so now what happens next? What happens on the 16th of Nisan? We say it's uncountable. Then what's, what do we do the very next day? We start counting. That's the Chidush We start counting. In other words, we take the infinite and now we're trying to funnel it into the finite. We're trying to take this miraculousness which is just you know, enveloping us and to concretize it and say it's uncountable, now we begin counting. So now, and then again, it's uncountable, now we begin harvesting. Right? Again, that's, that's, that's another concrete way of taking this energy and then, and then bringing it down. Now I'll tell you a couple more things. Which is that uh, the Akeda, the Yitzchak, okay, the 15th of Nisan really doesn't get enough play because we just call it Pesach. And of course, Pesach begins on the 15th of Nisan. But there's so many other things going on in the 15th of Nisan. For instance, the birth of Yitzchak. And by the way, the reason why Pesach is the 15th of Nisan is because God said we were going to be in exile for 400 years, and that count begins with the birth of Yitzchak, which means that Pesach, when we left Egypt, was the 400th birthday of Yitzchak, which is why Pesach is on the 15th of Nisan. In other words, it's, it's not that it happens to be that Yitzchak was born on Pesach, Pesach is when it is because it's Yitzchak Avinu's birthday. Wow. Not only that, but the Akeda, the binding of Yitzchak, was also on the 15th of Nisan. And again, you have this imagery of Yitzchak, who is a miracle baby, because who's born to a 99-year-old woman from a 100-year-old man? It doesn't happen. It's a, it's a, it's a miracle. And now he's the first born Jew, right? The first Jew who's born to Jewish parents. So in other words, here you see that the whole footing of the nation of Israel is on this miraculous foundation. Now what happens again? So now he's an embodiment, if you will, of the 15th of Nisan, since that's when, he, when Yitzchak is born. What is, what is uh, his father, Yitzchak, do? He binds him. And there's a lot of, lot of you know, very deep teachings about what is this binding. But one of the teachings is that like Yitzchak was a little beyond this world. And by the Akedah is when you see the shift and he's able to get married. And so this binding is bringing him to the natural order. So again, you have another transition from the miraculous to the natural order and this imagery of binding because the, the, um, there was an asifa, there was a, a binding by the, by the crops as well. So the, that imagery sort of like kind of continues through, um, through the actual weed aspect of the harvest. Now, you know... Okay. Okay, let's keep on going. 
So, so you have this notion of it's infinite, you can't count it, the very next day you begin counting. Okay, good. That's the, that's the front part of it. Now I want to add on to that teaching. Because Shavuos is the 50th day after Pesach. And if you say one of the reasons why we're counting, or perhaps the main reason why we're counting, is because we're counting to receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, and that's on the 50th day, then, I mean, if you ask 100 people, I think 100 people would say, if you're counting, then as soon as you get to the number 50, you're finished counting, because that's the day we receive the Torah. Except you don't count the number 50. You only count up to 49, which is very strange, because in other words, if the whole point is counting to receiving the Torah, it seems like the whole purpose is to get to the number 50, and yet we don't count the number 50, which is the day itself when the Torah was given. Why? Because the Torah is beyond any sort of limitation. It's beyond, 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 beyond. You can't even put a number on it. So you count to 49 and then comes 50. So now just to kind of put all that together, you have an interesting, beautiful process going on over here that we're right in the, in the midst of. And this is every day, by the way. But, but you see it sort of enshrined in the calendar here, which is that You've got miracles, miracles beyond miracles, and then you begin counting. Try to bring it down, try to concretize it, make it real in your life, and then it rockets off into the miraculous again. You know, you get, you get, to, you get to 50, and then it just blows out any sort, of, any sort of vessel that you've made for these numbers. It just gets blown out again. So, so Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that at every level of knowing, you have to, you have to re-realize that you don't know anything. So in other words, you have to, you have to take like the things that are beyond you, internalize them, know them, and then realize all over again, and it will always come as a new thought, because the whole point of knowing something is you think you know something. <laughs> so it will come as a brand new chiddush, a brand new realization every single time. Wait, oh, I don't know anything! Now, even though you may have had that thought, wait, I don't know anything like a week ago or a day ago or earlier that day, nonetheless, it will still, if you really realize it in, in, in truth, it will still blow your mind every time you get to that place. So, so that's, this, that's, that's this beautiful relationship that we have with God. And that's, that's a very nice description of just the rhythm of a healthy relationship with God to start with your mind blown, then to try to really know, and then get to your mind blown being again, and again, try to really know, and just you keep on doing it. Because if your mind is actually blown, then you're, you're starting afresh. And you're just like, you're, you're like this, you know, you're this new being again. You're this new being again. You know, it's interesting, because Pesach comes in the month of springtime. And I think I'm, I don't have the Chumash in front of me right now, but the, the Pasuk, basically, we, we, you, you would say, a lot of people think that the, the Jewish calendar is lunar, which is largely right, but it's not technically accurate. It's lunar and solar. Because there, we have this um, commandment, which is part of the commandment of making the calendar, 
that the holiday of Pesach has to happen in springtime. So if if so that means that if, if it were a purely lunar calendar, Pesach could happen any time during the year. Like you see that by um, Ramadan, right? That, that can happen any time during the year because it's a purely lunar calendar. But ours, Pesach always happens in springtime, which is why we have these leap months, you know, two Adars, you know, very occasionally, is to keep... Pesach in the spring, so it ties it to the solar calendar. So we're lunar and solar. Um, the point is that it's the, it, the Pesach says something like, Shamor Escha Chodesh Aviv, something like this. You know, guard the month of springtime. But Aviv means, like, basically it's like this life force, like this ripening that's, that's, that's happening. And you could read it another way. I, I would like to suggest another reading, which is a non-sort of like calendar-related reading of this uh, verse, which is shamor can also mean to guard or protect. In other words, the Torah is t- telling you, guard your newness. Guard your sense of newness, that this is something that you, you have to protect because this is really the, this is the essential quality if you, if you really want to live life to the fullest. You know, it's, it's, it's really true. Like, people talk about simcha, and we, we've talked about simcha, happiness, joy, as, as this great quality, but, but this is almost, I would say, even what joy brings you to. It's almost even above joy, you know, it, it, at least as I'm understanding it right now, because if you understand that everything is absolutely new in front of you right now and that you're new and that everything is just, wow, in front of you, right? Then it's like, you, you, I don't think you can be in that state without being in a state of joy. But I think you can be in a state of joy without being in that state, which is, which is why I'm saying that it could be even higher. It could be even higher. Um, okay. So... So, so this period of the year, we're always reading um, the Parsha's Tazria and Mitzorah, which is talking about guarding our speech and really, like, really, really using this incredible tool that we have in, in an elevated way. And we know that, that God, you know, mystically speaking, God who doesn't have a body, doesn't have a mouth. Nonetheless, we, sometimes uh, Hashem himself in, in the Torah uh, attributes a, an anthropomorphic quality just so that we can wrap our mind around a concept, but, but not because there's any physicality. So, so we say that God spoke the world into creation, that there were these ten utterances, that God spoke the world into creation. And so you see then that speech is tied to um, creation in, in a very, very, that's really deep stuff at that point. And, and there's a lot to it. We've, we've touched on it different times, but I want to talk about something now slightly different, which is that as we're heading out of Egypt and as we're heading toward Mount Sinai, there's this premium that's being put on rectification of our speech. Um, because a new creation is sort of unfolding in front of us. We've, we've left the old behind. That's what it means to leave Egypt. And really, 
every moment of our lives we're leaving Egypt, right? And every moment of our lives we're heading towards something brand new. So to lock into the sort of the dynamic, creative aspect of the world, speech is tied to that. So, so rectification of speech is very, very important. Now, now the Chidush Rim sort of like analyzes the ingredients that went into healing the Mitzorah. So who is the Mitzorah? What is, what is it, Saras? A Mitzorah is someone who has Saras, which was, a, which was a, an illness that we don't have today. It's likened unto leprosy, but it wasn't leprosy. And you could only get it in the land of Israel. And here's the real kicker. This is, sounds strange, but it's true. We are not spiritually high enough today to be eligible for this disease. Isn't that, isn't that a strange idea? So, in other words, you talk about desens- to be desensitized. We, we've become not only desensitized in so many different levels, but also our, our very physicality has become uh, desensitized to the nature that we're not vulnerable to this anymore. Which you'd say, well, that's great, and I suppose it's... I guess that's okay, but it's sort of like, wow, I'm so glad I don't have to pay a big mortgage because I live on the sidewalk. <laughs> well, I, I guess you could say that's great, but it's not great that you live on the sidewalk, you know? So it's, it's, we, we, we aren't eligible for this, you know? So, so, so who got this? Who got Saras? And the answer is, usually speaking, they say someone who spoke Lushan Hara, which is someone who, you know, you know, misused their speech for, for bad purposes, for, to, to just undermine people, to, to, to defame people, to, you know, to make people just feel really bad about themselves or to, to aggrandize themselves, you know. So all, all sorts of things, um, to lie, you know, things like this. Um, okay, so what was the, what was the uh, fixing for that? So, so there was certain ingredients. The Torah lists a number of ingredients. One of them was hyssop. Hyssop is, that's an English word, which is, it's a, an herb, and it's a very low-growing herb. And the Rambam says that it was za'atar which is a very um, popular Israeli spice. Like if you go into a pizza shop in Israel and you see like some green stuff, you might think it's oregano because that's what we're used to in America. But it's za'atar. It's like a very strong, different flavor. So that's, says the Ramam, that's the hyssop. Okay, so hyssop was one ingredient. Another was cedar wood. And there's, they have very different qualities, the, the hyssop and the cedar wood, because the hyssop is very low-growing, and the cedar is very tall. Okay? So they say that one of the reasons, the rabbis explain, one of the reasons why someone speaks Lashon Hara is because of arrogance. Right? Because I think I'm better than you, therefore I have the right to judge you, and I have the right to just... Talk about you know how how you just simply haven't met my my expectations in so many different ways you know I mean it's like it's a born of arrogance and and things like that so they say well you take so the hyssop which is this low growing very sort of humble creature that that is part of the person's fixing because that's sort of like it, it counters their arrogance because it's very small so now with that in mind. 
the Chidush Arum asks a great question. He goes, but wait a second, you also have the cedar, which is like really tall. Who's to say that the cedar, which is very tall, isn't going to kick into the arrogant person and make him even more arrogant? <laughs> like we're saying that the hyssop is going to make him small, but maybe the cedar will make him even more arrogant. Do you, do you hear the, the problem? So, so he comes up with a, a brilliant answer, I, I think, um, which is that he says, well, wait a second. What is the cedar? What is that very tall thing coming to fix? False humility. So, so what's false humility? So he, he gives you sort of like a way to diagnose false humility. False humility is if someone comes up to uh, a person and says, hey, listen, we really need you to do X, Y, and Z. You know, there's like some community thing or some whatever it is. I, and, and the person's response is, oh, I'm, I'm so small. I, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really not capable of doing such a thing. But if that same person is insulted, he says, do you know who I am? <laughs> so all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. When it comes to dodging responsibility, all of a sudden you're very humble. But when it comes to being slightly insulted, all of a sudden, you know, there's the ego, right? So that's, that's, that would be a way of sort of like um, zeroing in on a trait of false humility. And so, so the Chidush Rim, to my understanding, is saying that the cedar wood, that tall thing, is sort of smoking out the false humility and raising that up, getting that out of the picture. Right? So that's, that's, that's an interesting, interesting thing. Um, you know, it says there's 600,000. It's a kind of more of a wild bit of imagery, but I, I want to share it with you. This is a thought that I had, so you can take it or leave it. But there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. That's our tradition. And there's 600,000 root Jewish souls. And every Jew is a letter in the Torah. Okay, so you have this one-to-one correspondence between people and letters. So, so what I was thinking, there's a Gomorrah in Sanhedrin that says that Mashiach will come when all of the souls that are supposed to come down, come down. All the souls that are supposed to be born are born. That's what it says in the Gemara. So I'm just kind of, kind of trying to put all these things together here. So if there's 600,000 letters in the Torah, and each Jew is a letter in the Torah, or each root Jewish soul, however we're to understand that, is, is, is a letter in the Torah. And Mashiach comes when all of the souls, or, now I'm adding, all the letters come down. Which suggests a visual, which is that Mashiach comes when we finish, so to speak, with our own lives writing the Torah. When, when, when all of the souls come down, that means when all the letters come down, which means this Torah becomes complete, right? So, so you know, there was this moment, there was this moment um, yesterday during davening, 
which is that we got up to the reading of the Torah and we opened up the ark and there was no Torah in the ark because we have um, we keep the Torah in another place and then someone transfers it and then you know every once in a while someone forgets so whatever it is so then you go back and you get the Torah and you put it in the ark it's okay no no not the end of the world it's not ideal but it's not the end of the world so um, so that happened yesterday so I ran to get the Torah. And when I came back in, Rabbi Freeman was saying over that, you know something, we don't have, we have the white fire of the Torah right now, we don't have the black fire. <laughs> Which was awesome. That, that's awesome. And it's, it's really real. And again, it gives you another visualization of what's going on in front of our eyes right now, which is that we are the letters of the Torah. And this, this time-space thing that's swirling us right now, the room that we're in, you know, the air that we breathe, right? Just this, just what, whatever's in front of us, right? This is the white fire. That's, that's the, the white fire. Just, just so you know, the, the, the Ramban brings it in his introduction to the Torah, that the Torah itself is black fire on white fire. So if we're the black fire, if we're the letters of the Torah, then everything around us, right? has to be the white fire. So we're all walking around, all the letters are walking around, and they're arranging themselves. And to the extent that we're following the mitzvot of the Torah, we're actually spelling out the Torah. Right? And I was thinking, just to take it another level, and to tie it back into the mitzvot, because now we're in the, we're in the place right now where, where we're getting up to the receiving of the Torah. Right? And we're talking about fixing our speech and things like this. We believe in reincarnation. I don't want to overstretch this piece of imagery that I'm giving you, but I'm, I'll just add one more, one more element to it. And again, this is just me talking. So, like, how does the count work? I mean, like, how does, how does it work? Well, you know something? We believe in reincarnation. And we come back because we, there's something that we were lacking. We didn't, we didn't complete everything we needed to do or we need to fix something that we didn't do. You know what's so interesting? There are letters that crack. I'm talking about on a very practical level. Like the, there's each, each letter is, like a, is kind of like an entity of ink. Mm. It's almost like a blob, a beautifully shaped blob of ink. And it can crack over time. And, and, and the letters can chip away. Or maybe it was incorrectly written, like... Letters can't be touching each other, you know? So there's, there's um, different ways that... In other words, it's, it's almost like we, we, if, our, if our letter didn't quite become the full letter that it needed to be, to be that next letter in the Torah, you know, we have another chance to come down and to fill in whatever piece was missing or got broken, because you can fix a Torah. If a, if a letter cracks, then you... You know, a sofa, a scribe can go and, in a very particular, special way, can fix the letter, and then you're back in. So, so, so to speak, we're, in our lifetimes, we're, we're like really just getting it right. You know what I mean? Getting it, getting it perfect. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'll tell you something. I don't know if I ever shared this with you before, but just to, just to finish things up. I saw something which was, just sort of made me smile one time, which is, uh, 
oh boy, I'm forgetting the name of the movie. The Book of Eli. The Book of Eli. So it's it's this sort of like post-apocalyptic film, and Denzel Washington plays this sort of blind gunslinger, <laughs> and he has this mission in this after the apocalypse where he's basically memorized the Torah, the Bible, right? They call it the Bible. But, and this is the last remains of it. And in, um, uh, what is it? That, what's the name of that uh, prison in San Francisco? And Alcatraz. And Alcatraz is a fortress, and it's the last library of like the collected wisdom of the world, right? <laughs> And his job is to get to the library, to Alcatraz, right, to download the last remaining, you know, you know, surviving Bible, basically, which is in his mind. He's got to dictate it. He's got to get there, and then he dictates it to the scribes that are there, and then the Bible is, the Torah is preserved, right? And he gets there, and... and and that's the end of the movie. He, he, he makes it and, and everything like that. And then the last shot of the movie. Now, now Tanakh, do you know what Tanakh, it means, it means it's, a, it's an acronym. The T the stands for Torah. The Nun stands for Nevi'im, prophets. And the Ch stands for Ksuvim, right? So that's Tanakh. So it's a collection of basically the Bible, right? So, so in the last moments of the movie, really it's the last shot of the movie, his, his mission is a success. They bound together this book and they put it in the library of the preserved, saved wisdom. And the prop master of this movie was, didn't know what Tanakh means, which means Bible, right? Because it's Hebrew and you have to know something to know that Tanakh stands for Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, right? And he takes this book and he puts it next to another book that was an art scroll Tanakh, which means that they had the Bible and more in their library the entire time. So this one prop error, like, literally undermined the entire movie because it was sort of like... Anyone who knows what Tanakh is realizes, oh, well, I guess they had it the whole time, I guess. And none of that was really that important. <laughs> you know? So anyway, not a big deal. But it just sort of like, it's, it's, it just sort of made me smile. But, but the, the power of speech and the idea that we're heading toward Mount Sinai right now, and that each day more and more lights are getting lit up, and I just conclude with this one last thought which kind of came to me on Shabbos which is that you know you have Tazria Mitzora these two Parshas which are talking about this Tsaras this illness um, that comes from Lashon Hara and, then, and, and the way to fix it it just was interesting to me that that Taz, Tazria starts with the letter Taf and Mitzora starts with the letter Mem um, now it could be, since both of the Parshas are talking about the same thing, it could be maybe you're going to do Mitzorah Tazriya. Like, sometimes I get confused. Like, I forget which, which of the two Parshas comes first. But it's not Mitzorah Tazriya, it's Tazriya Mitzorah. Why, why am I making a big deal about that? 
because in the Gemara it likens someone who has tsaras, this this illness, with uh, someone who's dead. And mem taf, which it would be the, the first letters, mitzora and tazria, right? If you take the first two letters of that, that spells out mace, which means someone dead. But what's interesting is that we it's not mitzora tazria, it's tazria mitzora. When you reverse the letters, as it actually is in the Torah, it spells tam, which is someone who's like like Yaakov Avinu, who's we are told never died, right, on some exalted level, is called ish tam. It's a it's a very purified, simple, very holy person, a tam. So you see that death is being reversed and is being cured, so to speak. Like the word mace, which means death, is being transformed into the word tam, tazria mitzora, by the halachas, by the, by the mitzvot of the Torah. And so, so we can bring life into the world with speech. We can bring creative power into the world. We can, we can, we can open up each other's eyes and, and help us to, to see that we're black fire on white fire Amen. and that an entire... Torah is being written in front of our eyes, and that all the most mythic, amazing things can't even compare to actually what's going on in truth every single day. And don't be fooled by the element of time. Just because it's going slowly (laughs) and seems like you're mired in the opposite of whatever we're talking about right now, you have the ability, we have the ability to break through that illusion and to tap into the truly miraculous stuff that's going on right in front of us this very second. Amen. Now for some questions and answers. Yeah, good, yeah. You know, that idea that you said that you go from miracle to counting, yes. like ground, yes. then back to miracle. Yes. That, just go, what, I'm, what I'm thinking is that because we live in this world, it's, we're not in in the ulama, but we're here, obviously, that, that the grounding period of counting and working on ourselves yes. takes us to that supernatural level when we enter the 50th day, Yes. when we do the work, but we need to do that work. Because it, it could have gone from miracle to giving the Torah at that moment, but it didn't. Yes. Right? You're right. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, absolutely, it's like what we talk about that, you know, we say, God, I believe in you, you run the world, everything is in your hands, and it's sort of like you pass the ball to God, and it's like a beautiful thing. You know, you say, it's not me, it's you, God, and God says, you're 100% right, that's so beautiful, and then he passes the ball right back to you. (laughs) And then then it's this back and forth, back and forth the the whole time, you know? So, so, and and just one more thought that um, you're reminding me of, I wanted to say it earlier, this idea of going from the miraculous back to the normal, back to the miraculous, it's sort of, um, we're talking about, you know, finishing the Torah, receiving the Torah. So there's a Kutzker Torah, which is like, um, which is one of my favorites, which is, he, he asks, well, what is it that we're celebrating on Simcha's Torah? So Simcha's Torah is when we finish um, reading the Torah, and then, of course, that same day that we finish reading the Torah, we begin reading it all over again. So he says, but there's a big celebration on, uh, you know, connected with, with reading, getting to the end of reading the Torah. So he says, what are we celebrating exactly? So he answers, we're celebrating that we've gotten to the end of the Torah 
And we're celebrating the fact that we realize we haven't even begun it yet. Again, that's the idea of going from the 49 to 50. Like 49, you're getting to this place of, okay, I know it. And then 50, you're like, boom. You know, I, what do I, I'm so happy that I'm living this life connected to a Torah that I know I can never know. You know, again, the Kutzker Rebbe says, you know, I would never worship a God I understood. Because if you, if you understand God, then you're also God. So then what do you need God for? In other words, a lot of people have unanswered questions. And they use those unanswered questions to hold them back without realizing that the unanswered questions are what makes God God. <laughs> because if you had all the answers to all the questions, then you would need God. So what do you need God for? <laughs> so we're frustrated by the fact that there's certain answers that we talk to lots of smart people. We can't get a good answer. <laughs> but, but that's the point. <laughs> that's what you need God for. That's why God is God. Because you will never know everything. That is the point. You have to, that's, and that comes, a person has to have some humility. A person has to realize that that is an element of existence in this world, is not knowing. That's just part of the deal of being in a body. That's just part of the deal. Um, and, and then one, one, one more thought just uh, connected to this whole idea of finishing the Torah and beginning again. The Torah ends, you have to look in the Rashi to see this, but the Torah ends by saying that Moshe, like this is the very end of the Torah, Moshe did wondrous things in front of the eyes, in front of the eyes of all Israel. That's the end of the Torah, the end of the five books. So look in Rashi, it says wondrous things. Sounds like, oh, well, you know, that's probably splitting of the Red Sea and the plagues and all sorts of stuff, right? No, Rashi says, no, it's just referring to one thing. The smashing of the luchos, the smashing of the tablets. So you say to yourself, really? Like where God wanted to end the Torah with the remembering of smashing the tablets? Why are we bringing that? We want to get far away from that. Why are we bringing that back at the very end of the Torah? So, so I would like to suggest that it's very much in keeping with what the Kutzka Rebbe is saying. That in other words, you're finishing up the Torah and you... You're smashing any preconception that you know what this what this is. And then you're going, you're rocketing off to the next level. Uh, it's not really a question, but it pertains to what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so last night at Happy Minion, right after I finished talking to you, I met someone and it came out that I drive for Uber. And every so often when I meet somebody, it's it's like a it's like, oh, you're a therapist? My wife left me. I, right. you know, right. And they'll find out, and I've been waiting to talk to you. I went for a ride right. and blah, 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 blah. Right. <clears throat> and nine times out of ten, the answer is, I would need to know more to be able to help you. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, despite the fact that we were just coming off a beautiful Shabbos, I I just wasn't quite in the mood. I just right. had a feeling that yeah. this was really going to be a wild goose chase. Yeah. So I said politely, um, I'm really low on the totem pole here. And someone out of context completely caught just that sound bite and said, no, 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 you mustn't denigrate yourself that way. <laughs> no, don't put that out into the... I'm like, with the positive self-talk 
Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you know, I, I suppose I should be grateful that I was yeah. given the opportunity to yeah. help solve that well, problem. Well, maybe, but, yeah, but, yeah, but maybe there's another way that you could have said, sort of dodged an uncomfortable conversation by just saying, I don't know. You know, yeah, it, you know, yeah, you know, it says in the Gomorrah, believe it or not, it that we have to. I mean, it was fine. I'm, but I'm just saying in general that it's sort of like if there's a more sort of like um, a way that you can say, you know, essentially end a conversation that's mm -hmm. uncomfortable mm -hmm. with, without putting yourself down, right. then right. that would be an even better situation. True. So, so and, and the Gomorrah says, so interestingly, that a person has to actually train themselves to say, I don't know. Because we hate saying that. Right. We hate saying, I don't know. Right. So, so it's, um, so yeah, anyway. But I, but I hear it, yeah. Well, and it, it yeah. did eventually get to, I yeah. would need to know more. Right. That's eventually <laughs> right. where it got. So I, right. I let it get there. That's, yeah. I was happy to do that. Yeah. So there you go. I, I just, um, I don't know if you... If you have this in mind exactly, right. uh -huh. when you talked about the the the, the egg, yeah, and, you know, the Ishvitzer, yeah, yeah the, the, the So you know, it, it, it just gave a visual image in my mind of the chicken laying the egg, and the counting is the counting of the gestation period right. of the birth of the egg in the chicken comes yeah. out. So, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like the birth is the nation. Starts with the egg, you know. The, the real birthation comes at Sinai, but I mean, it starts with the egg. Yeah, but what's so. what's nice about if if I'm hearing you is that we say that the that the that the whole process of Pesach really started at Mount Sinai. So, in other words, if Mount Sinai, because God says to Moshe at Mount Sinai by the burning bush, which was at Mount Sinai, go to Egypt, free the Jews, and bring them back here. So, in other words. It's the, that's the chicken, and then the egg becomes Pesach, uh -huh. and then we're back to the chicken, the chicken, and Mount Sinai. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So, okay, so, yeah, so it really does, it does really work, work the way you're saying. Yeah.